Welcome to Season 2 from A Lancashire Lass with me, Lucy Baxter. Joining me today is one of the most prestigious chefs in Lancashire. It's Michelin star chef Nigel Howarth. Nigel trained at Rosendale Catering College before setting off on his culinary journey, taking him to Glen Eagles in Scotland, London, and even across the sea to Switzerland. Um, in 19, 1984, Nigel returned back to the Ribble Valley, took over as head chef at Northcote Manor, and he's gone on to do many other successful things since then. So, Nigel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so Hi. much for coming on. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, fine. I've just been in, just getting a few things ready for tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, um, life is busy since I took the three fishes back, which is uh, the 11th week next week. So it's still a baby. Um, and it's my, I, as you probably know, it's the second time that I've, had an involvement with the three fishes but this time it's uh, it's it's um, it's just me doing it um and not the uh, the big business behind it so um it's a little bit more of an intimate uh, affair um and uh, it's a farm to fork concept so we're going to be growing a lot of things hopefully if weather will uh, permit in the summer amazing go back to when you were younger sort of did you always want to be a chef and had that in you um it's a quirky thing really because I always wanted to be a footballer um and I was quite a good footballer but I, I sort of realized I don't know in my late 15s for whatever reason there's no there's no nothing prescribed with this that uh, I wasn't going to make it and I decided that I wanted to be a chef at about 15 and three quarters, something like that. Um, I just woke up one morning and decided I was going to be a chef. That was that was how it happened. And that's a true story. It's not one of those uh, Tolkien ones. It's a true one. And sort of from then, did you did you sort of start making food at home and kind of what was your your go to recipe that you were you were good at? Um, Basically. I didn't, I, no, I didn't instantly start making things at home. I went to Accrington Ros and Rosendale College as a 16-year-old, so I didn't have a great deal of time. From that moment, I sort of decided to be a cook. Um, I went to the college in the September. Um, my mother tried quite a few things to dissuade me from being a cook because she, she felt it was an antisocial career and wouldn't be good if I was married or when I, and I was thinking, well, I'm only 15, sort of, you know, that's a long time off for me. Um, but ultimately, when I went to college, um, I, I just I just fell in love with it more. And uh, I always remember, the, you know, talking about food that I made, um, one of the first things that I made, I think actually the very first thing that I made that I carried home on the Accrington bus uh, to Clayton Moors, where I lived in those days, um, was a lemon meringue pie. And Mrs. Smithies, who was um, a doyen of patisserie then, and she was a, a terrific, um, she was a terrific cook and a terrific teacher. And, uh, you know, I, I can always remember uh, getting on that bus with, I'd got uh, greaseproof paper wrapped around this uh, lemon meringue pie and I just had to get it home in one piece and I was so proud of it. And and I think that's what really 
you know, as a catalyst that turns you on with food, you know, it's uh, if, if the little things and the, the basic things that you do um, give you a lot of satisfaction, that's, that, that's for me, is the catalyst with food. Yeah, and then you, you went, you, you finished your training. So was that sort of two years at college in, in the yeah. training? And then what was it like when you were working at Glen Eagles? What is it like just going into the, the industry? Because it seems quite stressful from yeah um well i suppose it's it's you know it's you know you have to have a temperament and you have to be able to put up with being pushed you certainly did in those days um glen eagles was a bit of an animal house if i'm being brutally honest it, there was 85 chefs in the kitchen and it was uh, very cutthroat very ruthless and uh, it was survival of the fittest and it and you also um you know, went, you, you know, you, you lived life to the extreme. So you worked hard and long and then you, uh, you went out with all those lovely Scottish people who uh, took great pleasure out of getting you very drunk and things like that. So it was a sort of um, an exciting life up there. And then in, in London, um, I worked at the Grosvenor. And I actually, um, my, my mentor, Michael Quinn, who taught me at Accrington College was the was the first British head chef of the Ritz, so that's the connection there, perhaps. Um, but I, I worked at the at uh, the Grosvenor in London, and then um, you know, I, and again, it was a very exciting place to work. You know, as a, as an 18, 19 year old, it was uh, incredible. And when I went to Glen Eagles, I was sort of um, twenty years old, and I went back to Switzerland because I'd been in Switzerland in between. And then I went back to Switzerland and I was uh, 20. I, so I spent my 21st birthday in the wonderful city of Lucerne. Um, so I, I did five years in Switzerland, loved it, had a great life sort of um, doing summer and winter seasons and doing a lot of skiing and a lot of, um, you know, seeing the world, I suppose, um, and learning sort of, I, I, re, I sort of relearned my craft in Switzerland on a European basis. And I learned how to speak um, Switzerdeutsch, which was, uh, you know, the language of the area that I was in, in Switzerland. Um, and I, I became very European, if I'm being brutally honest. And you probably find this fascinating and, uh, and unusual, but I preferred to speak German to English then. Um, I was fluent in, um, in German and, uh, you know, I really loved the language. And when I listen to it now, I find it, it's a quirky language. And, you know, I think, oh, not sure. But actually, when I got into it, I'd become very integrated in European society and, uh, and uh, I really enjoyed speaking. Because once you master a language, again, a bit like cookery, it's, there's a great pleasure in it. I don't know whether you've uh, yeah. learned any of this, uh, but um, I, I am hopeless now. I mean, I can, I, I say I was fluent, which I was, uh, but now I'm sort of, you know, 30 years since. I'm sort of um, half hopeless, really, because you forget such a lot when you don't speak it. You know, I can still, when I go on my ski holidays, I still, if I'm in Austria or Germany, I ask the, the waiters and waitresses or wherever I am in a hotel, I ask them to speak to me in German so I can try again and practice it. But you, you, you very rarely meet um, German, Swiss people in, uh, in the UK, as such, certainly in the north of England. No. Was this sort of... Obviously, the style of cooking would have been different abroad compared yeah. to here. What, what was it like? Was it, yeah? 
it was it, it was very european so we used um a lot when i was in switzerland of course you, you're landlocked so you know you don't have the sea fish that uh, you know we have you have lakeland fish like grayling and trout and things like that um and a lot of the um a lot of the fish and game um and meat came from scotland actually oh, wow. um yeah so that that was that was quite nice to see um but it was it, it was completely different we we um we cook with a lot of veal which mm -hmm. you don't in, in the uk it's it's sort of um not the most popular meat over here um and Basically, I found that they had um, they have a really good learning structure. So when I was um, when I was in the first year um, of my learning over in Switzerland, it wasn't that I was in such. I was in a small place called Arau, which was between um, Basel and Lucerne, and uh, it wasn't the you know it wasn't the most illustrious of places. And I, I struggled a bit because I, I didn't speak any of the language. And the manager said to me when I first started that, that uh, he wouldn't speak to me in English. He would only speak to German. So I had no choice but to learn the language. And then I went to school and I read a lot. Um, but uh, I, you, you have it's interesting, but you have to understand the, the society and the culture to actually understand the food. And I think that's the case in, uh, you know, in, in, in many countries. Um, the Swiss food culture is, is, um, is very mixed because so, it's, it's three areas that, you know, the Italian, the French and the German part, and they're all very, very different. And then there's the, Ro there's the Romanish, actually there's four areas, there's, there's a Romanish bit in the middle. Um, so from a food point of view, it's quite cosmopolitan and, and very different to the England that I had left as a sort of 18 year old. Yeah. So yeah, like completely relearning my craft. So when you then started at Northcote, what was it like compared to today? So I've, I've been many times and it, it is so lovely and the food is absolutely divine. <laughs> so how's it changed from when you started there maybe? Well, I went to Northcote in March of 84. Um, and when I walked through those doors, um, it was, you know, it was, um, well, it, it was pretty run down. It wasn't, the, you know, it wasn't amazing. And I, and I was, I'd come back to the UK um, sort of three years, no, sorry, two years prior to that. And uh, I was just looking for, for something. And I promised my wife that I wouldn't uh, move away because we, 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 were, we were going to start having a family and she wanted to be around, around her family. And they were from Darwin. And, um, you know, I was from Clayton Moors. Um, so we, we basically stayed put here. So there wasn't a huge amount of choice. And Northcote fell upon me, to be honest, because Craig Bancroft um, was was somebody that one of my family members knew and so that was the connection and that's how I ended up going there so it was when I walked in the in the kitchen it was like a, a tatty old kitchen with a formica table on the front formica if you're not would you know what formica tables are <laughs> we've been so young they're mm. like a a, a false formica is like a plasticky top table mm -hmm. and uh, there was an old gas stove in the corner uh, and, a, and a grill and another table at the side. And that was it, really. It was a very, um, 
antiquated regime compared to what you know the super kitchen that I put in before I I left Northcourt. Yeah. What was your sig- signature dish to cook when you were there, or what was your favourite thing that you'd put out on the menu? Well, well, signature dishes were black pudding and pink trout with the muscle mustard and nettles sauce, and then you know I did many a hot pot. Um, we used to do lots of lobsters. Gosh, lobster basil was one of my signature dishes. Um, and then I suppose um, favourite things to cook. Um, I love cooking scallops and oysters and things like that. Um, and I used to love, you know, butchering game and, and cooking game. We, we were very famous for game cookery, you know, from partridge to pheasants to... Uh, to venison to her and I always used to remember that uh, when I used to prepare her I used to always feel a little bit sad because it, it's, it's such a beautiful animal but you are what you are you are you know a purveyor of food and you have to just get on with it and uh, you know it's it's part and parcel of the course and it is a, a beautiful meat but um, yeah and we used to we used to cook lots of vegetables you know we used to do quite a lot of vegetable cookery in those days and I brought over, you know, spatzli, which was uh, the German noodles, like um, which we used to do now and then. Um, yeah, and I think they still use my uh, Swiss mince pies at uh, North Court at Christmas to this day, uh, which I brought with me, you know, 30, it's probably about 35 years now um, since I was at North Court. Well, since I started at North Court. So, yeah, those mince pies are still going. And what was it like when you got the Michelin star? Was it in 1996? Yeah, you're right there, yeah. Yeah, 96, we got the Michelin star. Yeah, it was it was huge, you know. It was, when I came back to North Dakota, it was a Voyager discovery and I had to rediscover British food and I chose to do regional food. Um, and uh, getting the Michelin star... I suppose, you know, it's one of those things that uh, it's the go-to thing for chefs. I mean, you might, some people will say, oh, Michelin stars, but if you have one, they're good to have. If you don't have one, well, there is a, there is a bit of uh, ego and hierarchy in, uh, in, in cookery. And uh, if you've got a star, you're always deemed to be better than those that haven't. But uh, whether that's actually true or not, there's lots of um, very good cooks out there that perhaps haven't had a star. Um, and you look it if you if you have one. I guess as well, sort of, with the fine dining experience at Northcote and places like that, it's not it's not just the food, is it? It is sort of the whole atmosphere of sort of the the way some people when you sit down, the drinks, yeah. the company. Yeah, I know it's everything, and uh, you know Craig and I, Craig Bancroft and I were a partnership for thirty odd years, and. Um, it was all about, you know, um, trust and understanding uh, of each other's craft. And, uh, you know, he was front of house and I was in the kitchen and both equally as important. You mentioned sort of regional food. What would you say Lancashire's best regional food is then that we, we have in this in this county? Oh, it's got to be hot pot, hasn't it? Lancashire hot pot, you know. Um, yeah, I think you know i think i'd like to think that i that i had my um effect on hot pot to revitalize the the hot pot and you know it was deemed to be in many people's eyes the best british dish in the country um 
I won the Great British Menu, which was the banquet for the troops in uh, 2009 um, with Hot Pot, which was, uh, I can tell you, for 100 people was a feat in itself because we weren't allowed, even at, uh, at the banquet, you know, which was inevitably the final, we weren't allowed to do anything beforehand. So I had to butcher the shoulders and then cut them all up and prepare them. And it just seemed to go on and on. It was a, it was a real challenge to get it ready for six o'clock, I can tell you. And then, then cooking all those hot pots in, I think we only had, I can't remember exactly whether we had two or three ovens, but um, it was incredibly full the ovens and of course one of the difficult things is is that uh, with hot pot you need it to cook slowly but you also need it to cook crisply so you need a slow dry heat and if you have too many um, hot pots in an oven it creates steam so it, it's not always conducive to doing hot pots when you cram so many in an oven so it was a tough gig really that but it was good fun. I was going to ask you about that I remember watching that so what was it what was it like on the Great British Menu? You know, the, the stuff that you chefs make on there, the, the yeah. attention to detail and everything's amazing. So sort of how, how is it like, you know, we see it when it's been filmed, but what is it yeah. actually like behind the scenes? There's a lot of pressure, I've got to say, when we were doing it, it was, we were, you know, I was cooking against, you know, Glyn Pennell, uh, Kenny Atkinson, Tom Kitchen, you know, and lots of others, um, Daniel Clifford, you know, really, really outstanding chefs. And, uh, you know, I remember to win the, uh, the, the final, the banquet uh, on the main course, I, I beat Tom Kitchen, he did a beef wellington, I remember. Um, you know, so it, it was tough and the pressure was high. And some, uh, you know, a lot of people melted with the pressure um, as they do in kitchens, you know, sometimes anyway. But uh, yeah, it's a tough competition. I did it for two years and then I was a judge for four years. Um, so I, I enjoyed it really. I miss it. I miss it in a way. It's uh, It's gone on now, hasn't it, to have another life again. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was fun. When, yeah. you, when you were judging, do you... Yeah. How does that work in terms of, you know, you always watch them and you think, do you eat every single dish? Do you eat the whole dish or do you eat a little bit and then it's the plates emptied on, off camera? Like, or do, do you, you eat it all? Uh, no, you don't eat it all. It's, uh, yeah, it's one of those where uh, there's a little bit of camera trickery, I think, because, uh, yeah, you, you eat you eat a, a bit to taste. Otherwise, you'd, you'd uh, honestly, you'd... Uh, You'd be so full, you'd be you'd be uncomfortable. But um, it is really interesting when you're always judging to be, you know, um, to be decisive and, and conclusive about your opinion on food. It's an art, you know. It's uh, you've got to you've got to really uh, and then and then put it into a category of between one and ten, and then stand up in front of them. Um, in front of the cameras and tell them what they've got when they, you can see their their hearts sink when they um, you know when they get a four or they get a five out of ten and they're expecting a seven or an eight you know it's uh, it's tough it, it it is a tough gig yeah you definitely have to have like a deadpan face when you're doing it because and yeah. I remember you kind of be like what well, do you think the sauce is too salty or something and then you've got to kind of keep your face to not give anything away what theme was it when you were the um the doing the main course was it you said for the troops what what was the theme it was the troops yeah 
it was a very you know it was um it was a very emotional one um because you know the troops had come back from afghanistan and uh, a lot had been injured badly and yeah i remember it was a it was an incredibly emotional i i actually went to um older shot i think he was and uh, and drove tanks um which was um you know as as part of the experience of getting to know some of the troops and that was uh, that was that was seriously something uh, scary and really exciting because you had to drive the chieftain tanks up a hill and then when you get to the top of the hill you have to balance the tank on the top you know so it's a it's like um um if you imagine like a a, a court anger bent mm. in, in so it was a pivot on the top and you actually had to pivot the tank this ah oh god knows 30 ton tank on the top of this hill and then drive it down of course when you get to the top you can't see anything so you have to judge how far to let it go down and then pivot it on the top um and honestly but i've done a lot of things but that was uh, that was seriously exciting and exhilarating and and you know, one of the one of the interesting things there was to see the young guys, 18 and 20 year old in these tank things. I think, gosh, these guys potentially go to war. Um, scary, scary, really. Yeah, it must have been an honour to sort of cook for them um, mm. and sort of give them that. Yeah. So why did you decide to stop being head chef at Northcote and, and sort of? Oh, well, that's a tricky question, isn't it? That one is. Um, <laughs> It's, it's why did I start this there's that you know there's there's a couple of stories there but you know I'd, I'd been there for, for 30 odd years and I've I, I'd fancy you know something within the business had gone wrong but I also fancied a new challenge and uh, after doing the same thing for 30 years and and I built that place with Craig from from a you know a late night drinking spot which was what it was um I decided that uh, it was time to have a change and rather than just sit there for the next 10 years and uh, yeah, just do the same thing. I, I, I needed a new challenge and I'd got a couple, I, first of all, I wanted to do some cooking around the world, which I did. You know, I went to uh, America to cook, um, to Dubai, Portugal, Spain, Ireland. Um, and then I cooked in London as well for some uh, some colleagues. Um, I just wanted to 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 sort of see um, if there was a life. And also, I dedicated my life to North Courts uh, for thirty years. So um, it was a case of, of saying that my family deserved something in return as well. So I, I sort of had three years where I spent more time with my family, or two years, and then COVID hit. Yeah. Um, and COVID then, I suppose, like a lot of people in hospitality, um, I my basically my consultancies that I had um, all finished overnight. Sort of COVID just stopped everything because everything locked down and shut down, and uh, you know the, the, those never recovered really. Um, so when I was looking around, I decided that uh, I'd do something. And then I saw a little pub called The Three Fishes and thought, oh, that'd be nice. So, and it's not so little when I got inside it. I thought, hmm. And my memory wasn't that good because thinking it was a little pub. But uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, 
it, it has part of me in it, a bit like Northcourt had. And uh, I'd already spent 14 years um, making the Three Fishes into one of the best pubs in the country. And it was voted, you know, three years on the trot, the best pub in the country. Um, so, yeah, I, I decided to do the Three Fishes um, after you know, departing North Court and, uh, you know, it's, a, it's another challenge and I like challenges, I think. Yeah. Um, I did, op- I mean, I started Obsession, did 20 years of Obsession. Yeah, I was going to uh, ask about that. That's that's happening or just sort of concluded? Just, yeah, I just finished and, you know, so, you know, I've left, I've left it in good health and a good legacy, I think, because, uh, you know, when I did Obsession 20 years ago, um, it was just a, a pipe dream, you know. I, I'd been to been to um, to America and done the Festival of Food and Wine in uh, in Carmel in two thousand. And uh, when I was flying, I'd, I'd actually gone to eat in Thomas Keller's restaurant on my way back after spending a week over there, and I missed my flight. So Thomas Keller's restaurants in uh, Yonsville in uh, called the French Laundry, and it's it's probably one of the top three restaurants in the world. And um, I, I thought I could get from Yonsville to San Francisco in an hour and I sadly uh, mistimed that. So I missed my flight. But I do remember coming, you know, f- taking off from San Francisco airport and going through the clouds and thinking, hmm. And you know how you, go, you break through the clouds and the sun sometimes just catches you as a beacon of light. And I just thought, hmm, I wonder if I could do something like that in, uh, in little old Lango. And uh, and that was that was the pipe dream really because in many in many ways we used to in Northcote we you know back in the day we used to work very hard at Christmas and then lose all we'd made at Christmas we'd lose in January and February and I, I'd always had it in the back I needed to create something in January and February that would give some income to stop us losing all this money because Northcote was never a, a cash cow you know it was always a labour of love really. And, um, you know, I came up with Obsession and, um, yeah, and with the team at Northcourt, Craig and the rest of the guys, um, we uh, sort of turned it into something very special, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned the pandemic. So you did these food boxes, didn't you, that were, so, did. were given um, sort of people made the dishes at home with the ingredients and that was that successful for you I mean they were they seemed really popular and tasted really good <laughs> yeah no I nearly got divorced mind you because my wife was doing them with me and uh, we would uh, oh gosh if we forgot a pineapple in one of the boxes or something like that it was like oh we never slept so, you know it was one of those but uh, yeah they were they were successful for that um, four or five months I did them and uh I left them to, you know, to start the project for the three fishes. So, um, but the, it's it's very intensive work. If you forget something or if you make a mistake, it's you know, it is it is what it is. But I am I am there is a thought that I'm going to rekindle them over the next uh, twelve months. Um, so I'm looking at something at the minute. Perhaps it's it's watch this space. But they were very successful, and uh, yeah, although. Although they were hard work, there was something, there was a spark there. Um, but I had no sight, so it was always probably harder work than, in, than most other people. So we were, 
we made them at the White Bull in Ribchester. We made them at the uh, at the White Swan in in Fens, and we made them at a game farm. You know, so we were sort of moving around while people had space to to accommodate us because. Uh, Certainly doing 100, 200 boxes a, a week was, was far too much to do them from home. Yeah, definitely. Um, if we then sort of go on to talk about the, the three fishes and that you, you mm-hmm. love of that, would you say sort of from when you started out when you were 16, 17 to sort of now, mm-hmm. how would you say your, your culinary sort of journeys changed or evolved or do you still kind of cook the same things? Well, I think you first of all you've got to, you've got to cook. You've still got to have a love. I mean, some people get because um, of the physicality of cookery, they get you know sort of they retire at thirty five. Um, but I I still love cooking, and I still cook some of my old things, and I cook a lot of new things. You know, I take inspiration from the land and from the ingredients and how I feel and what's happening in the world, and and I think. Um, that's always been the case. I've always cooked um, how I feel and what I'm inspired by. And, uh, you know, sometimes what, what can be a trend at the moment. And, you know, we're doing plant-based food at the Three Fishes, um, which is more difficult um, than vegetarian food because, of course, plant-based is completely dairy-free. And, um, you know, so you can't use butter, you can't use cream, you can't use milk, whereas... You know, you could do vegetarian food and, you know, do a cream sauce with it or something mm. like that. But yeah, so it, it adds a different level. So, you know, we we make chocolate mousse with silken tofu and, and that's a wonderful thing. And we make mushroom sauce now with mushroom stock and oat milk, you know. So it's it's a different it's a different vibe. And I'm looking to do something new. Um, so my, you know my next uh, five to 10 years in cookery will be about doing something new and creating something different with a farm to fork approach. Yeah. Do you, like, obviously you're saying you enjoy cooking there. Do you enjoy cooking at home? Is it always like expected that you'll cook tea and all? Uh, Tell my wife, I've taught my wife very well. So she's a very good cook now. So (laughs) it was, she was always a good cook, but I've sort of, uh, given her an edge now I think um so she does quite we, we do about 50 50 at the minute um I think now I'm back at the three fishes um probably she'll start to edge doing more cookery whereas I think in the lockdown I was doing most of the cookery yeah. um I thoroughly enjoyed no I, I you know we I, like a lot of people I used to make um you know sourdough bread and uh you know, do a lot of baking at home. Um, my wife cooks great cakes and, uh, you know, it's hard avoiding the cakes, I'll tell you. Um, so, yeah, um, I love cooking at home and I love entertaining. And, uh, you know, I've still got the the joy of cookery is a, is a great gift, you know. I mean, some people um, question hospitality, but I've got to say that um, it's always been uh, something that's been delightful to be part of from my point of view. So if you had to have your last meal on earth, start oh, what would you have? Oh, gosh, uh, good question. Uh, I probably think I'd have to have um, oh, some, yeah, probably scollops. Yeah. Probably uh, pan roast. Just, I, well, 
I've got to confess to you that Craig and I, you know, in the early days, uh, well, not in the early days, in the middle parts of Northcote, we used to treat ourselves now and then to tempura scallops with homemade tacos. And watching the, watching the end of match of the day with tempura scallops is one of the wonderful things of the world. And I promise, probably finish it off with uh, apple crumble souffle with Mrs. Kirkham's Lancashire cheese ice cream. Yeah. What was your main? Just a hot pot? Was that? Oh, well, okay. yes. We're having scallops as a starter. It's got to be, hasn't it, really? That would be very, that could be really a Lancastrian uh, sort of uh, threesome, couldn't it, there? So there's three, you could say that there are three Lancashire dishes there because uh, with that, mind you, I suppose we'd have to be broad-minded because um, you don't get many scallops out of, uh, you, you get Manx scallops. So I suppose, uh, you know, the Isle of Man can be classed as uh, nearly Lancashire, can't it? Yeah, I'd say so. Um. So for like a typical day for you now with the three fishes, it's 11 weeks in, as you said. So sort of what are you what are you doing? How how is that going? Um, it's going really well, thank you. Um, a typical day is uh, going to work for eight o'clock um, and then get the team organised, get things ready, um, have a, a busy lunch. Um, then sometimes i i sort of will go home and other times i'll just do some work upstairs and then we do nighttime service so the days are quite long um but we shut monday tuesday um so i can recharge my batteries monday tuesday um and you know like i say i still have the the zest for cooking so um just enjoy i just enjoy being there and and, and doing a bit of cooking how are you kind of sourcing the local ingredients? You said about farm farm to fork. Yeah. Is that, is that I guess being in Lancashire, you've got kind of a good idea of what grows where and who to use and that. Is that is that something you're really promoting then the farm to fork ethos? The farm to fork aspect is the is the fact that we've got um, an acre of land um, which we're going to grow on. So we'll have all our vegetables from there. And then we've got a polytunnel uh, that we're going to grow our salads and herbs in there. And, and the rest, we you know, we source locally. Um, most of the other things, you know, my meat comes from um, the Lake District. Um, you know, we've got local chicken and ducks and, uh, you know, fish. We get through Midland Fish over in Fleetwood. So, you know, everything's, everything's pretty much local. We're, we're out, we will be out foraging um, like a lot of people are these days. And, uh, yeah, just trying to keep it sort of inspired from from the land that we uh, we love so if say i or someone listening to this was kind of wanting to go to the three fishes what kind of food can they expect on the menu well at the moment we've got um a langoustine and scallop ravioli so that's so there's a little bit of italian coming in there isn't it because one of my chefs is italian um and then and then we've got uh, salsa here with morel mushrooms um, and then we've got venison with the uh, yellow beetroots and a, and a tamarind sauce. And then we've got um, passion fruit and banana souffle with a coconut ice cream. Sounds delicious. <laughs> so that sort of thing that you're going to get, yes. Um, yeah, and, and I think for me, the food will evolve with the seasons and with the, with the growth of the three fishes as we, you know, we're now 
sort of 10 weeks old so we can you know we're almost uh, three months old so we can start now to put our roots down and start to feel confident about moving things forward now because I wanted to just make sure we tried to deliver a quality and weren't too ambitious to start with so um, you know that's the uh, that's the sort of thoughts going forward that we now sort of open up a little bit uh, more and we might we're going to offer some, uh, not Mike, we're going to offer some specials uh, as well as having the seasonal menu um, as we move forward and hopefully some little nibbles on the bar. Yeah, it all sounds absolutely amazing. I'm going to have to book in. So if people want to um, sort of book a table, is book. there a long waiting list and sort of is the best to ring you up or is it a website thing? How yeah. does it well, you can ring, you know, the, the number is at 01254826666 um, and you can book and reserve your table or you can alternatively book online at uh, thefishes.co.uk. Um, and I'll repeat that, it is thefishes.co.uk. Um, so you can go online and all the information is on there. And uh, yeah, you're always better to book in advance if you can. Um, we're not fully booked all the time, but we're pretty busy. Yeah, and I guess the the longer sort of you go on and the more people hear about it and know the that busier it, uh, yep. it will get. So it sounds like it's kind of a bit, not unheard of at the moment, but it's just gonna get get busier for you. <laughs> I hope so. Yes, that's the that's the general idea. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it's uh, yeah, within um, within a you know sort of a month or two. I'm expecting to be pretty solid. Yes, but uh, yeah, you can still you can still get in on um, you know Wednesday and Thursday in particular. Uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday are always you know pretty full and busy. Yeah. Oh well, thank you so much for sort of chatting to to me about that. I think. Yeah. Found that really interesting and book to go to the three fishes. I think yeah. that's a necessity. <laughs> Come and uh, enjoy the journey. Thank you, Lucy. It's been nice to talk to you. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> to keep up to date with all things from a Lancashire lass. Follow on Facebook and Instagram at From a Lancashire Lass. Don't forget to hit subscribe or follow so you can keep up to date with when each new episode is out.